You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, I'm so excited about today's episode. My guest is Eric Henry of TS Designs. TS Designs is a really unique apparel company located here in Alamance County in North Carolina. And Eric's story is just, it's really unique. It's really inspiring. And he has this program called Dirt to Shirt, where basically the cotton that's grown in the Carolinas all the way to the, you know, the ginning and the making of the fabric, all the way to the shirt that you're wearing on your back is done right here in the Carolinas. And so he's going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, sustainability in the apparel industry and manufacturing. I mean, he his story is so inspiring. Whether or not you know you're in business, whether or not you want to start a business, his story will inspire you. All right, guys, here's my conversation with Eric. I am a level of excited for this episode that I have not been in quite some time. I have the phenomenal Eric Henry on the show with me today. First, Eric, welcome to the show. Oh, so glad to be here this morning, and I share your enthusiasm about connecting, and we met a few months ago, so uh, I have got my nice uh, fair trade organic coffee with me this morning on a chilly morning, so I'm ready to get this thing going. (laughs) I like it. I do not have a fair trade drink. I have Diet Coke. Well, I don't know. I guess Diet Coke's made here, so it's fine. (laughs) I don't drink coffee. Everybody always thinks I'm weird, and because my whole family is coffee drinkers, and I just, I've never been able to be a coffee drinker. I don't know. I'm weird. So Diet Coke is my poison of choice. <laughs> so we're going to dive right in. Um, Eric, so yeah, and I want to say real quick kind of how we connected because it was so, such a kind of unique and funny way. Um, I had seen your TEDx talk. Um, so Eric did a TEDx talk. Uh, when did you actually do that talk? Eric? Oh, gosh, probably... Two years ago, maybe three years ago. Yeah. So I somehow in the, you know, the wormhole of the internet came across it and watched your TEDx talk. And I was like, this dude is awesome. I was like, this seems like the kind of dude that I just want to hang out with and talk for like forever and get to know him. And he, I just, I love your heart and your passion for what you do. And I, I just was thinking to myself like, man, I really, I want to figure out how I can connect with this guy. Well, fast forward, uh, I guess like um, a couple weeks or so, my friend Bethany Tran, who owns The Root Collective, brought your name up. And I was like, I just saw his TEDx talk. I was like, this guy is awesome. She's like, yeah, you know, I, I, I met him and we connected. And I was like, okay, I need, okay, I need to connect with Eric. Then fast forward like another week, I agreed to do this like... You, you agree. It was like very unique judging thing, if that's what we want to call it, for uh, this uh, the Pepper Festival here in North Carolina. And Eric and I both happened to be judges for this like eco fashion show thing. Um, and I was like, wait, Eric, I, I've been wanting to connect with you. So it's just kind of interesting how it all worked out. Stars aligned. The stars aligned. So, um, and then, uh, and then you and Bethany, I guess, then saw each other a week or so later at the Certified B Corporation event in Pennsylvania. Correct. Yeah. So, um, 
before we kind of get into uh, TS designs and all that kind of stuff, I want to get to know you. So what I have all my guests do is give me what I call the Eric 101. So give me the Eric 101. Tell me a little bit about yourself, where you're from, you know, what, what kinds of things uh, happened in your life. What's your, sort of your life story that led you to do what you are doing today? Sure. And since I've been doing this so long, it's kind of a whole blended story. Yeah. Um, I have lived in Alamance County now 57 years, 58 years. And for, um, those, for those that don't know, Alamance County is here really close to where I am in North Carolina. Yeah, right in Mill Park State. Uh, Burlington is our, our biggest town. Uh, I was actually born in Virginia, uh, but my uh, parents moved here when I was three. My dad worked for... At that time, the uh, largest textile company in the world, Burlington Industries. Um, so, you know, grew up here, went to high school here. Um, for some reason, uh, and it, this will make sense later, but uh, my parents still live in the house which I grew up in, but which is downtown Burlington. But I got an interest in uh, gardening. So behind my parents' house, I started a, a garden when I was... Um, Pre-teen, teenagers, did it all the way through high school. Um, actually built a, a greenhouse with my grandfather. Uh, there was no farmers in our family, but it's just something I took an interest in. And that's what got me going to um, uh, NC State, which is our land-grant university, and with an interest in doing something in agriculture. Um, I was there for two years, and while I was at NC State, I actually started my um, my first business, uh, which is called Creative Screen Designs, and essentially that was just a, a sales organization that connected uh, college events that needed t-shirts with the people that produced the t-shirts. Um, oh, my, yeah. my parents were always very, um, took care of the basic college needs, uh, the room and the board, but any of those extracurricular activities I wanted to do, it was kind of on my dime. Yeah. So I, I wasn't able to find you know, part-time jobs that would work either with, with my schedule or the school schedule. So I uh, uh, started this business, um, grew the business um, my second year at State. Then I transferred to uh, that light blue school, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, a.k.a. the Tar Heels. Go Heels. Yep. And then I was going to switch into an econ major. Um, so I was on a path to become an economist or something in that field. And then when I was rolling into my senior year at UNC, uh, lacking about 18 hours to graduate, um, and I was growing the business, had people working for me, I enjoyed what I was doing, I uh, had representation both in North and South Carolina. Uh, it was either the business or school, and to not my parents' liking, I uh, uh, dropped out my senior year to uh, pursue where I am today, and um, during that time, too, I had met my business partner or soon to be business partner, uh, Tom Sineath, who was a few years ahead of me, a graduate of NC State School of Design. And he had started a business uh, named TS Designs or called TS Designs. So uh, what we did the uh, summer after my senior year of not going to college um, we incorporated TS Designs. I folded in my company, Creative Screen Designs. Uh, he became the CEO. I became the president. And we 
started TS Designs. That was in Graham, North Carolina. And, you know, typically this is in the, uh, by that time it's like 1980. And the, the business thought at that time was, you know, if you devote your time, your attention, and all your possible money you got, because we bootstrapped this whole uh, startup on our own, uh, you know, that's how you build a business. Yeah. So um, we quickly built a business, what they call high volume contract screen printing. We had clients like uh, Tommy Hilfiger, Nike, Adidas, Polo, Gap. Uh, we moved about every two years. It got us in the location that we're in now, um, a 20,000 square foot building, uh, over 100 people working. You know, business was growing. Business was good. We had profits to share. We, you know, always, you know, pay well above a, a minimum wage. We had benefits like retirement, like health care. We had the care, you know, always had the care for our employees. So, I mean, everything was pretty much going on track the way, you know, we thought it would. Yeah. And then January 1, 1994 is when NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, was ratified. And within two years, we lost about, or not lost, we had to lay off about 80% of our staff. Wow. The brands could not get overseas quick enough. And to me, what happens, two things, is the, the marketplace became very global. Uh, prior to that, I mean, um, our apparel was made in this area. Matter of fact, Nike's apparel headquarters was in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. So, um, you know, the brands uh, realize they can get things made a lot cheaper. And then the consumer says, oh, wow, I can buy a lot more stuff. So um, now, you know, pause right there for a second. So like for for people that maybe aren't, you know, this is one of those terms that or one of those things that kind of gets thrown around a lot is NAFTA for, for maybe some of the younger people who weren't didn't really grow up you know, right. knowing about it. How do you explain to, to somebody what NAFTA is and, and what it did? What NAFTA was, again, it stood for North American Free Trade Agreement. Um, there have been many other trade agreements that have come down the pipe since then. The one that's on the t- table now and our uh, soon-to-be President Trump uh, is not going to support the newest, which is Trans-Pacific Partnership. But uh, the North American Free Trade Agreement was one of the first international trade agreements uh, that cut across multi-industries um, and essentially took down any tariffs, duties um, between Canada, United States, and Mexico. Mm-hmm. Uh, prior to that, there were, you know, to uh, sell products in those countries that are duties and tariffs. So the thinking was that um, NAFTA by, we'll let the marketplace determine winners or losers. Yeah. What we quickly realize is the marketplace only has one objective, and that's what the price is. It has no soul. It has no conscience. It is just the marketplace. Right. And so what quickly happened with NAFTA is, you know, they did not have to, Uh, abide by the same environmental or social rules and regulations that we had in this country. Mm -hmm. So what essentially happened is these brands I was talking about, the Tommies, the Nikes, the Gaps, the Poles, I mean, pretty much all the major brands. I mean, almost the day after NAFTA was ratified, they started moving their cut and sew operations to Mexico, i.e. to take, you know, at that time, maybe... uh, uh, I 
forgot what the labor rate was, but it was significantly less than it was in the United States. Yeah. So they, they moved their cut and sew down there. Um, and then shortly after that, what we did was the screen printing that went down there. But what was interesting is NAFTA kind of opened the door to many other trade agreements. There was the, the Caribbean, uh, Latin America. I mean, there's all kinds of trade agreements were done. And the interesting with the Mexico is, is that only lasted for a, a couple years. And then guess what? They moved to um, cheaper countries. They moved into Central America. Uh, then it moved over to Asia. Um, you know, so apparel, you know, and that's, you know, been going on for the last couple hundred years is, you know, when apparel first came over to this country, it was in New England. And then, you know, a hundred so years ago, New England moved to the southern states. But it was a much more slower, methodical uh, transition to compare with these trade agreements were major market shifts. Yeah. So um, not only did it, it destroy uh, our business, uh, came very close to going bankrupt. But it pretty much destroyed uh, the community in which I lived in because I was talking about earlier. My dad was with Burlington Industries, which prior to NAFTA was the largest uh, textile apparel company in the world. And then the, the second biggest was Guilford Mills, which was in Greensboro, North Carolina. Yeah. Um, both of those companies um, a few years after because they really, you know, jumped on this NAFTA bandwagon and. Um, I think moved too quickly uh, to their own demise of trying to set up operations in Mexico, which I said that didn't last very long. And uh, they and both those companies ended up going into bankruptcy uh, and totally had to reorganize and they're much, much smaller companies today. But I think the thing that I came to realize, Molly, is, um, you know, when you built this business, you did everything people said you were supposed to do. And then pretty much almost overnight, it, you find it completely destroyed. And um, then you realize there's more to a business than a bottom line. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of a real uh, eye-opening experience to me that, uh, you know, that just there's, there's something else here. And unfortunately, I think uh, there's still a lot of people that believe, you know, that business has one purpose and it's to maximize their bottom line. And, I think that's what's causing a lot of the issues that we're having both in the environment and, and through society is with that uh, single bottom line greed yeah. uh, that we have out there today. Yeah. So, you know, kind of pick it up where we had we were left off before when, you know, when NAFTA came along, you know, pretty much you, like you said, I think within two years you had to lay off 80 percent of your staff. What, you know, that obviously was a huge turning point for your business. So. What what sort of did you do from there? What was sort of your next steps and how did you because one thing that I, I mean, I know about you just from reading about you and seeing your TED talk and things like that, like you you almost saw it as an opportunity to to do something different and unique and 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 work to to be sustainable and, and all that kind of stuff. So tell me a little bit about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, when that that happened, you know, um, the general thinking at the time was if, if you were going to remain in the textile industry, uh, you since you had to either go overseas or have an overseas partner. And even then that, I mean, that was the, uh, 
rationalization of, you know, economists, of business leaders, of chamber of commerce, of government officials, you know, the thinking was that we would outsource this uh, lower manufacturing and, you know, even then would be focused on uh, the higher paying technology jobs. And again, that just did not happen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but we wanted to stay in the business. Uh, we wanted to stay in the area. Uh, but at that time, there was really no business model to support that. So, you know, and I had a very good friend, um, Dr. Sam Moore, who matter of fact had a textile chemical company uh, right down the road from uh, our manufacturing facility. And I've known Sam ever since high school when I used to date his younger sister. And um, <laughs> Sam was a, a uh, textile chemist, um, went on to get his uh, PhD in international sustainability. This was on down the road, so back to textile chemist. But Sam was the one, again, this is, uh, again, probably in the now we're getting to the um, the later 90s, but he introduced the idea of a sustainable business model or a triple bottom line. And the, the fortunate thing for us is even prior to NAFTA, we had those components of care for the environment, care for the people, and yeah. understanding the importance of a, a, a you know a bottom line. Yeah, but you know, really didn't think about running a business based on those principles. It's just, you know, what we believed in. As I said earlier, we always had some type of health care and retirement benefit for our employees. For whatever reason, I think it goes back to that organic garden that had my parents' house, you know, back in the in the 70s. Um, I had a care for the, the environment. You know, I've always been uh, interested, concerned, about the impact that we're having on the planet. So we had those components in place, and Sam was the one that kind of gets credit for bringing it all, all together. So I spent the next couple years, and again, we're in the, the mid-90s now, going around. At that time, the real leaders in that triple bottom line thinking were the, the Paul Hawkins that wrote Natural Capitalism, uh, the Ray Anderson, the mid-course uh, correction from Interface Carpet, uh, the Amory Lovins, uh, Rocky Mountain Institute, and they were the kind of the real leaders in this this triple bottom line thinking. So, I had an opportunity to go hear them speak, read their books, um, just really galvanize that thinking for us. So we came in and changed the mission of TS Designs in the late '90s to be a successful company by simultaneously looking after the people, the planet, and profits, uh, i.e. the triple bottom line. So when you were talking about that in the the late 90s, people just did not have a clue what you're talking about because, again, the thinking at the time, you know, business is all about the bottom line. What's this other stuff mean? So we changed the mission. We changed the vision. The vision of TS Designs was to become or to create the highest quality, most sustainable, printable, printed apparel. Yeah. Um, in a in a marketplace, it was interested in just making the apparel as cheap as possible. So, we we changed the mission statement. We changed the vision. Um, then one of the the critical things we did from a, a business manufacturing side, again working with uh, Sam Moore, we spent a couple years 
to change the way we print t-shirts. Uh, we developed a process called Rehance. Matter of fact, I just had a, a, a screen print consultant in here last week uh, working on some projects with us. Um, and Charlie's been, he said now 67 countries, been in the industry over 30 years. He knows nobody in the world that prints t-shirts the way we print t-shirts. Um, what we do is unlike a typical t-shirt where they start off with, um, they knit the fabric, they dye the fabric, they cut and sew the t-shirt, and then they come back and print with this plastic resin. You know, if you'll print a t-shirt, it has this plastic feel to it. Yeah. Well, that plastic feel that you're uh, noticing is plastisol ink, which typically contains polyvinyl chloride, uh, PVC, or phthalates. Things that just aren't good for the environment. Yeah. So in realizing that, uh, and working with Sam Moore, and he had developed some technologies, uh, not for screen printing, but in the uh, textile dyeing world. So we, we um, collaborated slash partnered for two years. We developed this rehance process. And again, what we do is we take a white t-shirt, we print it with this water-based technology, and then we garment dye it. So what you end up with is a print that's in the fabric, not on the fabric, doesn't crack, doesn't peel, even iron it. But the key thing is it has a substantial uh, env better environmental impact than the typical plastisol inks are even still used today. Yeah. So nothing's really changed since this was developed in the uh, the late 90s. Yeah. So that became the, uh, the you know, the first transition of our uh, business is developing this process. And again... People really weren't interested in it in the in the early nineties because it cost more. And if I was focused on, I want cheaper. Yeah. Um, so we started finding comp companies that saw the value of it. It is a higher quality product, um, and continued to grow that. And then about ten years ago, uh, be ten years this year, matter of fact, we realized that more and more of the T-shirts that we were printing on were not made here anymore. Uh, there were less and less yep. U.S. made options for T-shirts. So uh, we says, well, we grow great cotton in this state of North Carolina. Why don't we connect cotton back to textiles and create jobs in this state? So 10 years ago, I went to a farmer down near um, Asheboro, North Carolina, in a town called New London, or I guess a community called New London. Yeah. Uh, met Ronnie Burleson. Ronnie's a, a third-generation cotton farmer and said, Ronnie, I'd like to buy some of your cotton. And Ronnie kind of looked at me and says, you know, why in the heck does this <laughs> little bitty company in Burlington, North Carolina, want to come down and buy my cotton when you can basically pick up the phone or, or now go online and get all the t-shirts you ever wanted tomorrow delivered by a truck Yeah. and not do this. And I told Ronnie, says, and we, we built a business plan around cotton of the Carolinas and one of the strategies in the, the business plan was we knew we would never grow the cotton or gin the cotton or knit the cotton or finish the cotton or cut and sew but how do we control that cotton? Well we control that cotton by buying the cotton. So 10 yeah. years ago we went to Ronnie and we bought 7,500 pounds of cotton and it was very hard, very difficult uh, of trying to manage that uh, which in, in 7,500 makes about 15,000 t-shirts, which in, in the scheme of things is not that many t-shirts. Yeah. So um, 
we had, it was a very difficult, took us about a year to, you know, slog through that, made a lot of mistakes. Um, but what we wanted to do is, um, we came up with the tagline, um, dirt to shirt. Yes. This and, is like the coolest thing ever. <laughs> and so, um, we realized not only do we grow great cotton in North Carolina, we have, even though we've been devastated by globalization, we still have the infrastructure in place to take that cotton and make t-shirts. Yeah. So as we like to say, we go dirt to shirt. We do it now in 508 miles. A typical t-shirt is about 13,000 miles. Wow. We do it in 508 miles. But the coolest thing that we do and then what we're most recognized for is we have in the system has changed over the years. Now we have, um, we use a, a, a color thread um, in the inside uh, sleeve and the inside bottom hem of the shirt. And when you take those two color threads and we've developed this website, and again, all this stuff has been developing over the last 10 years, but the website is where W-H-E-R-E, yourclothing.com. And you put those two colors in, a map will pop up. And from that map, I will then introduce you to the farmer, the jenner, the spinner, the knitter, the finisher, the cut and sew, and TS Designs. And when I say introduce, I will give you a picture, I will give you a phone number, I will give you an email, I will give you a physical address. The only t-shirt slash apparel I know anywhere in the world that will connect the consumer all the way back to the farmer. Because one thing I've realized, Molly, in the many years I've been in business, is uh, business changes, business is complicated. Not one person has all the answer, but we need to conduct business in a transparent way. Um, an example of that is the cotton that we grow here with Cotton Carolinas is conventional GMO cotton. That is the cotton that our farmers grow. We have attempted to grow organic cotton here. Uh, we were essentially successful one year out of four. So um, we have spun off some other brands to address the organic perspective of it. Yeah. But we basically, you know, this is where we are. You know, that is one of our, our long-term goals is to grow organic cotton in North Carolina. But main thing we want to do is there's no secrets to what we do. And in per my TED talk that I did and I talk about is when those thousand people died in Bangladesh when an eight-story building collapsed, See, the consumer's finding out this after the fact, mm -hmm. and the manufacturer's not going to tell you that because those people pay 26 cents an hour mm -hmm. to make shirts that we wear in this country or buy in this country. So what we want to do is run a country, a company that's, you know, transparent. And again, it's we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We continue to change, but there's, again, no, no secrets. And I love to tell the people or the story. It's happened numerous times. Well, people, you know, from East Coast, uh, New York, all over the country will essentially call up and, you know, say, I want to come see you. And I say, fine, I'd be happy to talk to you. So when you're sitting there talking to them, somebody says it's coming from Seattle or Portland or L.A., obviously they're not flying all the way to the East Coast to uh, spend a couple hours with me at TS Designs in Burlington, North Carolina. And then, I'll, you know, we'll just start talking. What have you been doing for the last week? And they said, I've been out seeing your supply chain. So they're able to essentially go to that website, wearyourclothing.com. Don't have to have my permission. 
all the information is there. Yeah. Um, and you know, go go see these people. So uh, you know, that's the part of how we you know believe business should be done. I think that if we did business in that way, my I think that probably that would address a lot of the um, uh, issues or challenges we have around regulations. You know, if you give the consumer the information and the knowledge uh, and let them make better choices. But unfortunately, uh, a lot of businesses don't believe that. They want to keep the consumer in the dark uh, so they can maximize their bottom lines. But we just have a different philosophy on how our business should be run. I just I'm looking at this website right now. So uh, like Eric said, it's where W H E R E your clothing dot com. This Eric, this is awesome. I didn't know I this is the first I've heard of this. I mean, and I I don't know how I didn't see this before. This is the coolest idea. I just, the, you know, to be able to click and see. Yeah, exactly. Who is who's making your stuff? I mean, and I love the map. You know, you've got. People down in Lumberton, you've got up in Rocky Mount, you've got over it's near Statesville and Greensboro. I mean, it's just like this is so awesome because this is something and that this is part of, you know, my my passion and my mission is to just to help to educate people that there are there are companies out there. You know, from everything from, you know, the apparel industry to jewelry makers to you know, authors to nonprofit directors. I mean, there's all types of people who are running businesses who genuinely care about people. They care about, um, they care about doing it right. And it's not just about the bottom line. And that, you know, my, my hope and, and my prayer and my, and my, my mission is to show people like that you can do this, you know, as a business owner, as a consumer, you know, you've you you know, people are like, oh, politics, blah, 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 blah. Like, I, I'm like, I'm never going to get political on the show. But at the same time, like we vote every single day by the way we spend our money. Exactly. By the way we spend our money. That is what we are voting for. And so, you know, the more that we can support companies and brands and local farmers, you know, with our money, um, you know, the people that are doing it right um, or really treating people with dignity respect, kindness, they're paying them a, a fair living wage. Um, you know, that's, that's one of those things that like, that really does, that changes a culture, that changes a community, and that ultimately changes an entire, um, you know, way of life for people from the top down. Um, and, you know, so often, so many brands, you know, I will email a brand and say, hey, can you tell me where your, where your stuff is made? And it is shocking how many times they're like, ah, we're not really sure. Like, how do you know, not know where your stuff's made? And they're like, well, it's made in Peru. And I'm like, okay, well, how is it made? Ah, we're not really sure. And that to me just speaks so much volume. Um, and, and I just, I love how you're really taking it. You're, you're not only going the made in the USA route. Like, I love the dirt to shirt idea. Like, that is just the coolest idea of like, Yes, you're wearing a shirt that from the dirt, like literally the cotton in the ground to the ginning to, I mean, all, the whole process all the way up until, you know, when it's printed and, and you're wearing it took place within the Carolinas. Like that is such a unique idea. And I just, 
I, I, I applaud you. I just think more people need to be doing the kinds of things that you're doing. And I think it's the type of thing that people can really connect with. And, and for me, you know, in the last couple of years, like my family, we've really sort of taken on that, the whole like, know thy farmer philosophy. Um, you know, we, we, there's a produce stand like right next to our house that's been around for like 50 years and that's where we get all our produce. And I can go, I can go to my boy Alex over at Perkins Orchard and I can say, uh, you know, I can ask him, Oh, where'd you get these? Uh, where'd you, where are these apples from this week? Or where are these, um, you know, where's this spaghetti squash from? He can tell me all his farmers that he works with, you know, he goes and picks up a lot of the produce himself. Um, we actually got our Christmas tree from him. This is his first year carrying Christmas trees. And he's like, Oh yeah, this, this is a, you know, Fraser fir from this farm about, you know, hundred miles away over in Western North Carolina. You know, I mean, just all those types of things. Like, those are the types of things that like I know that I'm not only supporting my boy Alex at Perkins Orchard right next door, but like I'm supporting a couple local farmers right here in North Carolina. Or, you know, we bought our we, we my husband and I, my husband loved this. We bought a cow this year. You okay. know, like, where you were not like an actual like live cow. Like we we paid for a cow and then it was butchered and then it's it's now delicious and in our deep freezer <laughs> in our garage. Um but we we got a cow from uh Oh, what's his name? Baldwin Beef. Baldwin Beef. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah, old V Mac Baldwin. <laughs> like, that guy. That guy's awesome. Um, but when we, you know, we we pull up into the farm, V Mac himself greeted us. He was like, "I'm V Mac. I'm V Mac Baldwin, the original." <laughs> like he packed the cow in our truck and everything. Like we see the cows out in the in the field. Like I know exactly how that cow was raised. I know what it was fed. I know how it was treated. I know how it was butchered all that kind of stuff. And that's one of those things that's like so popular nowadays that wasn't as popular before. But I feel like in the next couple of years, you're going to start to see people taking that same philosophy from their food, you know, how their food's made, where they buy their food, all that kind of stuff to clothing. And that, or at least that's my prayer. That's my hope <laughs> is that people put that same type of thought of like what they're wearing and what they're buying as they do their food. Oh, I agree with you completely. I think the uh, apparel industry is uh, uh, three or four years behind the consumer in regards to knowing where their food comes from and what we advocate and what you're talking about is know where your clothes come from. And again, it's I tell people it's, it's not a question where I, what's right or what's wrong. One thing I like to do when I talk to a group of people, one of the first questions I'll ask them is if they can tell me without looking the country of origin the shirt they're wearing or the blouse are wearing is from and I got I bet I've asked that question a couple hundred times and I've gotten a handful of people that actually knew where their shirt came from and I says that's where it starts so I'm not saying made in China is wrong or bad but it right. starts by being aware because once you become aware then you start asking more questions as you said you were talking about with the thing about Peru well it's great it's Peru where you know how's it made in Peru right um it gets you going down this path of better understanding the clothes that you wear. And again, it's no different than what's happened with the um, connecting to your farmer. You want to know, you know, Baldwin beef and, you know, how his cows are taken care of and all that type of stuff. If we could do, because what are the two things that, that touch our life every day? It's the, it's the food we eat and the clothes that we wear. Yep. And if we could start asking those questions, you know, but we have the most, the consumer has by far 
the most power of change than any rule regulation company ever will have. Yep. And it starts with just asking that question. Yep. Yes. And that is, um, you, you, you made a great point there that I, that's something I always tell people too, is like, look, I am not anti made in China. I'm not anti made in Peru. I want to know that because people, I believe that does not matter what country, you know, what community you're in, what guy, like, I believe that everyone should have access to a job, but I believe that everyone should have access to a job that pays them a fair wage, that treats them with kindness and respect, that they're not, um, they're not risking their lives to work. They're not, um, you know, you know, and I mean, in, in an unfair way that they're, being they have access to child care that they're not sacrificing you know maybe their education or their children's education you know I, I just I believe that everybody should have you know be treated like a human and and in so many ways people don't realize that like you know what happened in the Rana Plaza complex which we've talked about a, a few times on this show you know those people who were in that factory I mean they'd been saying for for months that the building was in disrepair you know disrepair and that it was going to collapse and the walls were cracking and um and nobody was listening to them and you know there are there are people literally all over the world who are making our stuff who are chained to their sewing machines and that to me is nobody's no four dollar shirt is worth it to me it's just not worth it well i think the thing that i learned from nafta then again that's what drives this website we're talking about where your clothes not come what drives mm -hmm. cotton of carolina's is that NAFTA, and there's been many other trade groups, it's all about the dollars saved and never about the people. So yeah. what? that's the whole reason with, we want to we want to make sure everybody knows, you know, there's 500 people that are behind this t-shirt that you're wearing. And these are where these 500 people live and they have jobs, they have names. Uh, they're a part of your community. You know, I'm a big, big advocate of, you know, when you spend your dollars in your community, it stays in your community to support your community. Yep. Um, and that's so important if, if, you know, you are, you know, connected to where you live and that's how you can, you know, back, back to the food thing, you know, not only you want to support the farmer in your backyard so you know where your food comes from, but you also want to support your farmer so basically he can have a quality of life. Yeah. Because he's a part of your community. Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's all about, and that's, you know, when I, um, my friend, I've mentioned her earlier, but my friend Bethany of the Root Collective, like, that's something that she talks about all the time, too. It's just like, it's, it's about the people. Because when you change a person's life, they are able to then change their community. And just like you said, like, the consumer is so powerful. And I don't think people realize that. People are like, well, I'm just one person. I'm like, well, when you're one person and I'm one person and, they, you know, my husband's one person and your wife's one person and our kids are one, you know, like when we all start to do those things, that sends a message, you know? Yep, for sure. So, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up here, I, you know, what is sort of your your vision for where do you see TS designs? Where do you see dirt to shirt? Where do you see all these things kind of going in the next few years? And what is sort of your like big vision? Like what's, what's your big goal, your big vision for, for changing the industry or just really growing your business? You know, what's, what sort of, what do you see down the line? Well, we believe sustainability is a journey, not a destination. And we will be on that journey as long as, uh, TS Designs is around and I'm here. Um, 
the business itself is going through some big transitions. Um, about a year ago, uh, I bought out my business partner, Tom. Tom was a, a few years ahead of me and wanted to do some different things. So uh, we spent about six months negotiating that deal. Uh, Tom is still active in the business from the standpoint of special projects. You know, yeah. He's in here once or twice a week. Uh, so from the business standpoint, the next chapter there, we're converting uh, the company to a worker-owned co-op. That's going to be my succession plan is to um, who's best to own the company than the people that work at the company. So, again, I think it's just another way of this journey to um, run a business uh, or uh, organize a business in a different way. So when, that's probably going to take us a couple years to make that transition. I, I hope I will then become a member of this worker-owned co-op, continue to work for hopefully another you know, 10, 12 years like what I'm doing. Uh, from the business standpoint, uh, we're evolving more to an apparel brand uh, than a screen print company because with the brands that I've talked about, Cotton of Carolinas, and we also have uh, other brands, American Soil Organic, which uses Texas organic cotton. We have another product called Cloud Organic, uses a lightweight organic yarn out of India. We've got another brand coming out next year uh, called Carolina Blend, which is 50% cotton 50 percent cotton carolina's cotton 50 percent recycled poly oh, that's we're cool. also involved with the um north carolina industrial hemp movement that those seeds will go on the ground this year still a few years before that will become fiber and apparel so we're evolving to this apparel brand company um matter of fact we'll be spinning off another company that that's that's going to start selling um uh, a web-based company will be selling solid color t-shirts to start off with directly to the consumer but we want to start building out other apparel products built on that dirt to shirt completely transparent philosophy uh so we definitely see a, a lot of expansion in different areas beyond just a a, a printed t-shirt still going to do a lot of printed t-shirts um that's what pays the bills and allows us to to do these new ventures but also we realize there's a lot of customers I think this year we'll do right under 200,000 shirts for Cotton of Carolinas. So there's there's companies like um, NPR and Organic Valley, and I'm trying to think it's going to plant uh, Zingerman's and um, uh, Weaver Street. I mean, there's, we have hundreds and hundreds of customers um, that come to support our brands uh, and understand what I like to say, the value beyond price. Right. So for many years, it was a very tough road because people just viewed our products more expensive. Now we're on the other side where a lot of customers not only see the value beyond the price, they see the quality, they see the, the social impact, the environmental impact. So, um, you know, we just have a lot of very, very great supportive customers that um, um, support what we're doing and uh, are helping us grow. So yeah. we're, we're excited about the future. Yeah, that's so awesome. Uh, real quick, I actually, a couple episodes ago, I had uh, Molly Hemstreet of Opportunity yep. Threads on the show. And oh, that's a good for him. She is awesome. I mean, not only is she awesome because her name is Molly, but uh, I mean, yep. just really their worker-owned co-op is such such a cool model, and they're just they're doing really, really cool things. Yep, and that's, that's one of my mentors in this worker-owned co-op. Um, she's been very 
helpful. I guess you say she's one of the advisors to making this transition. She's been down there, met with our employees. As it says, I, I just love what Molly's doing and, and really want to you know make the transition to that, that business model. Yeah, I love it. Uh, so our last, I always like to ask a fun question here at the end. What do you do, you know, obviously as a business owner, you kind of live and breathe your business, but what do you do to kind of recharge? What do you do to relax? What, you know, you said you garden, which by the way, I have tried now for two years to start a garden. I do not have a green thumb. I kill everything. So (laughs) like, like what is, what's your secret? (laughs) Oh, I think the, really, my the, the secret I found is the secret with business, uh, with everything. Um, not one person has all the answers. So connect yourself to the community, and and know those people that are doing great things. Be it in farming, be it in textiles. Uh, I'm helping start a um, the fourth cooperatively brewery brewery in the country in downtown Burlington, um, and I just realized that to do, I mean. Life in the world is complicated, so find those people out there that do things well that you can um, share with and connect with to do that. Because I love farming. My wife and I now live out on a farm, but I'm constantly running into challenges or problems. I talk to other people. How do you do that? And how do you know? It's it's been it's that connection to the people in your community that where the true happiness and success come from. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, now, so for people that want to connect with you online, how can they do that? The best way is my email. It's pretty simple. Uh, Eric, E-R-I-C, at T is in Tom, S is in Sam, designs, D-E-S-I-G-N-S dot com. Awesome. Eric at tsdesigns.com. Uh, so if you are interested in learning more about Dirt to Shirt and TS Designs and WearYourClothing.com, all that kind of stuff, um, I'll also have all the links in the show notes so you can be sure to check that out. Um, Eric, thank you so much for the, your time and for just taking – I know you've, you're, you've got such a busy schedule, and so it's, it was really an honor to have you on the show today. So thank you. Well, Molly, I do appreciate the opportunity, and to you and to all your your guests, um, happy holidays. Yeah, Merry Christmas, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Eric. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. How awesome is Eric Henry? I mean, this guy is just so cool. He just seems like the type of person I just could hang out with and and talk with for hours and just learn all about all the things that he does and his passion. And uh, he is just a really great guy. I just I am so appreciative to you guys for tuning into this show. Um, please make sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever podcast are and I would love it I would hug your neck if you left us a review um, and share the show with your friends because that's how we're able to get the show out there be sure to tune in next week as my guest on the show is Caitlin James of Caitlin James Photography she is amazing not only am I biased because we went to college together but she was also my wedding photographer but this girl has really changed the world and changed the photography industry just through taking pictures. And I can't wait to share my conversation with her. Thank you guys. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye.